This is the Formation Lab. Welcome one, welcome all to the Formation Lab live from the not ESPN studios. My name is Luke. I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Tim. How are you doing? Sir, I am pleasantly surprised today. It's been a pleasant Sunday where we thought something was going to happen and it didn't. We were actually entertained. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. I'm I'm good. Mildly surprised. Uh, So, you're right. First off, we are recording this on the Sunday. We usually record Monday night. Recording this on a Sunday. We have scheduling issues. I have to go do a model shoot. Don't ask. That's actually a true fact, but don't ask. He's getting his headshots done, everyone. Don't worry. Oh, no, it's full body shots. Oh, yeah. Well, that's more risque. This is a family friendly show, Luke. We should really be more careful. Yeah. Well, all I can say is it involves full body shots and disc golf. But let's focus on (laughs) Sunday. (laughs) Let's uh, Sunday. Let's focus on Sunday because today I think we all. And when I say we all, I don't just mean Luke. I don't just mean Luke and Tim. I don't just mean all of, you know, Randy, Dylan, Derek, those behind the scenes at the formation lap. I think when I say we all, I mean every Formula One fan expected to be asleep uh, by about lap 10 to 15 of France. And in our defense, I nearly was until kind of like lap 15 or 20. And then you're like, wait a minute. Hang on here. There's a storm of brewing. There, there, well, there was, and that never materialized, which I'm still pissed <laughs> off true. about because the, you know, the commentators, oh, rain. I'm like, F- the one thing that could liven this up would be rain in France. Please, mother of God of racing, come it, and, you know, pour down nothing but hellfire rain. Tim, on us. I, don't but, know, I don't know how many times you have to look at the Formula One forecast. 65% chance of rain means, means a 0% zero. chance of rain. <laughs> it means zero. <laughs> But um, you know what? We didn't need the rain, though, Tim. And that's no, the shocking part. That is the shocking part. We didn't need red flags. We didn't We didn't have a safety car, Luke. No, we didn't we even have a safety car. Down. No, we didn't. But we had gutsy racing, good stuff. You know, there's more parity up and down the field. And, and sir, not to, not to put a spoiler or a fine point on it, but I think we got ourselves a title fight. Yeah, no kidding. We have a title fight. I think that's the whole story of the weekend is everybody's focusing on like Mercedes was supposed to dominate this. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, no, they did. They did not dominate. They weren't even close to having a dominant, (laughs) dominant stretch there. No, they weren't. And I think it comes down to not just the drivers, but the pit wall. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 but we're going to, we're going to get into that here in a little bit. Uh, Cause you know, we're going to, we're going to kind of break down the race as it happened a little bit and uh, mess with our format a little bit this week. Typically we do the reverse Martin Brundle grid walk where we go from the back of the grid to the front while everyone runs away from us in total embarrassed fear and make things awkward. Um, and we might actually just run with it a little bit because there were some bits that were pretty boring um, and we couldn't really talk about it. The most interesting thing, for instance, that happened to Haas was that Mick Schumacher got into Q2 by wrecking out of Q1. Hey, hey, hey. Haas is a Ferrari partner team. All it's right? what happens. It's bar- about to. They're borrowing the Ferrari strategy. All right. That it's was a... about to be Haas Energy 2. Point, or uh, Rich Energy 2.0. It was a it's 95 be IQ move, man. High quality. 
High quality, right. And uh, whoever's running the Haas social media, by the way, highlighting Nikita, Nikita Mazepin over and over again, didn't gain you any followers among true fans. Sorry, <laughs> put Mick out there. That's all I care about. I on, do not want to see Nikita Mazepin ever. Mazespin, sorry, I apologize. On the other hand, go follow Haas F1 team because it's hilarious to follow. It, it reminds me of back in the day before make- before LeBron and before like uh, LaMelo or whatever the ball guy that plays for him is i'm not an nba fan so guys i'm sorry but it reminds me back i used to follow the los angeles lakers and they'd win like 10 15 games a season and you'd follow them on twitter because they're like a thunderous dunk from some player you've never heard of <laughs> lakers trail 22 to 65 <laughs> that's yeah that's what following it feels like it's like a brilliant lap for nikita matzapin he's only five seconds per lap off the pace <laughs> And he's only down two laps. Um, Mick Schumacher into Q2 via crashing his car. (laughs) We're not going to talk about it. He's in Q2. He's in Q2. That's all you need Uh, to know. Yeah. No, it it, it was interesting. Qualifying was interesting. But to me, Luke, the practices were more interesting. Um, The FIA stewards were pretty hard about putting out really big sausage curbs on the outside of the red and white curbs which were different from the normal sausage curbs so in austria let's imagine a straight line and that will be our white line on the outside of the track right in austria you have sausage curbs but they are placed a small distance away from that but they're parallel to that white line right right which means that you have to go over the white line and then running in the same direction as the sausage curb, which means that like as you join it, as you're exiting a corner, you kind of roll on up to it. You meet it, right? Right. However, in France, they're perpendicular to that white line. They meet it at uh, you know kind of like a 90-degree angle, which means that you don't meet it so much as you run over them like rumble strips, which ruins some cars. It, it, it did, uh, in fact, and we got to hear I really – Really love hearing the radio calls from the pit wall to the steward's office and saying, hey, we we need that bit back. We don't have many of those. Could you could you bring that piece that broke off our car back to us? And also the complaints from Red Bull about it being too rough with the sausage curbs saying, you know, this is ridiculous. You just caused tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollar pounds of, uh, you know, damage to our car, which is tens of thousands of dollars. Um, And, you know, the the stewards are like, well, whatever. Also, the stewards are a little weird about enforcing track limits um, in qualifying, but not in the race or in practice. Yeah, which is is odd to me, but also I realize that the race exists in kind of like a fungible state, right? Qualifying is different, but race kind of like things get really gray really quick when you have to sit there to race. And our guest last week, Bobby Krug uh, can tell you that a million times out of a million, you know, there's a lot of gray areas. Um, So I get that, but I did As you were saying, I appreciated that FIA thing because I, Michael Massey got a little sassy um, with, with, and I loved it because Red Bull rightfully. So they're going, look, this is kind of aggressive. And also, we wouldn't be kvetching. Okay, they probably would be, but they wouldn't be doing it quite as much if they didn't have a budget cap, right? So you do $100,000 of damage to your car for no particular reason. $100,000 of avoidable damage, I should say, rather. Right. 
you, that takes $100,000 out of who knows what else, right? Next well, of your take, budget this year. And the development of not only this year's car, especially for Red Bull, mm-hmm. um, you know, to a little bit of a spoiler, uh, Red Bull looks really fi- racy, really fighty. Mm-hmm. Um, and they look like they actually have a legitimate chance. Um, I will go ahead and call my shot now and say uh, Sergio Perez, perfect choice um, for that oh, number yeah. two car. He played the second, he played the rear gunner like a master. Um, but, you know, they're putting it into this year's car and next year's car. So they're fighting a war on two fronts. Whereas Mercedes has been pretty open so far about saying that they're just focusing on the 2022 car. I think after this weekend, it's been shown clearly that they need to reevaluate that decision and maybe pour some money into this year and develop the way that Valtteri and uh, Lewis needed to, because it's not performing also reevaluating their internal processes because the pit wall was shabby all weekend long and things in practice didn't make stuff a whole lot easier for a lot of the teams. If you ran wide, um, I hate it. it. The strips at uh, Paul Ricard are so tough to look at, but if you slide out of, out of the track limits and you go into the red and blue sections, the blue is going to touch you really kind of hurt your tires. The red's going to destroy them Yeah, um, because it's a, it's an abrasive surface for the, the ex- express purpose of slowing the car down. It's a testing track, really. It's not exactly a racing track, which is why we don't like the format. Honestly, if they had chosen any of the other 162, uh, formats, we probably wouldn't like it that much anyway, because it's just so boring. Um, yeah. but I will say that, uh, that threw a wrench in for uh, people's weekends as well. Everybody came in thinking it was going to be a one-stop strategy. I think I heard Paul Deresta who got slagged off by Lewis Hamilton, by the way, which I am all for, um, did say that some bits had been repaved. So I think this was a higher, more abrasive track than it was in years past. Yeah, I, and uh, going back to that abrasive service, by the way, think like sandpaper if you haven't like actually seen it or experienced it before. But yeah, you know, it was an abrasive strategy. It was an abrasive kind of surface. Uh, you could tell it was repaved at a couple points. Um, it really looked to me like there was a fresh repave in the uh, chicane on the Mistral Strait. Um, but you heard it was going to be a one-stopper. Turned out uh, not so much if your name's not Sergio Perez. Like you said, Sergio Perez is the right choice. And Tim, I know I, I could probably go back and find myself, well, you know, having some stupid thing. But I don't think either one of us really had very many large doubts that Sergio Perez would be anything but the correct choice. No, no, we didn't. We, we've, this show has been a fan of Sergio Perez, his driving style and his just overall ability for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thought was whether or not he would mesh. Our biggest concern was whether or not he would try to overtake Verstappen. Yeah. And he wouldn't be a team guy, Mm -hmm. but he is very much a team guy. Yeah. I'm thinking specifically, if you went back and pulled my audio, you would find me going, I just wonder how well he would play in a number two role because Red Bull does not give number one status or one B status to anybody else. Well, turns out he plays perfectly fine. And, you know, that's not me saying there was a in the later section of the race, uh, both. So Red Bull in the middle of the race switched to plan B, mm-hmm. um, which was a two stop strategy. That was clearly the better call. They had tons more pace coming out of the second stint uh, and you know, there was a moment where Sergio needed to let Max buy and he, he sure did. 
Um, you know, he, he let him go. He went long on the first stint. Uh, I actually think maybe if I'm recalling correctly, Sergio only did one, did a one stopper. Yeah, he, he and Lando Norris. Yeah. So he and Lando Norris were on the same, uh, strategy, but, um, he, he jumped ahead. He jumped out of the way when Max came through. Max went over the, came over the radio before his radio started breaking up and said, thank you. Like, he didn't want to have to fight his teammate. He's had to do that in years past, and he, know, he realizes how strong Checo is. And Checo on, you know, somewhat fresher but still kind of clapped out tires took on Valtteri Botas in the later part of the yep. uh, race, and it was like nothing. Valtteri Botas, who, by the way, uh, was also on that one-stop strategy. Tim, I think this is the time where we start to talk about Valtteri Botas. And I know everybody's going to go, oh, Luke, you were off the Botas train in Baku. I think I might be – I think it might be at the station, and I'm kind of like straddling the train right now, right? Like, I'm, like I got one foot on and one foot off. Because today, in terms of raw pace uh, – and indeed, throughout the weekend, Botas was in some ways pacier than Hamilton, in some ways slower than Hamilton. He looked like Valtteri Botas, the, the Valtteri Botas that you and I know from as for as long as he's been with Mercedes. He didn't look. He looks. He looked like the right rear gunner. Right, the and guy. He, the guy that we have grown to be fans of. Exactly, the guy that does his role, does his job, and goes home. Yeah. Um. And we're going to get into it later uh, on a different episode where we kind of break down the mental state and the, everything that goes along with Valtteri Botas. But in studying for that, I have gone back to old races on F1 TV Pro, which I'm going to share with Luke later. Um, but it's great because you can see his driving style is more aggressive. And he looked this weekend like Valtteri of old. Mm. Um, there is some theory about the chassis being switched between Lewis and Valtteri. I know Paul DeResta made a big deal out of it. And when interviewing Lewis Hamilton later, Lewis said, I heard you made a myth about the chassis. And I was like, oh, oh, the champ, the oh. goat's calling you out to your face, Paul. Oh, no. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he looked good. Uh, you know, everything else was just shabby. And he got he got pretty chippy. Uh, on the radio, and I was proud of that. Mm-hmm. You know, good muscle the team. Tell him that you were right. Yeah, this is where I think I want to talk about Valtteri Botas because Valtteri. So he he said coming in the same way that uh, the same way that uh, that everybody you know same way that Paul arrested him. That's the name I'm thinking of. My word. That hey, uh, this is going to end up being a two stopper. Two stops are needed for this race. What does Mercedes do? Mm, yeah, you're going to run a one-stop strategy because we need you to run the exact same strategy as Checo Perez to block. And we'll get into other Mercedes tactical errors later. What happens? Oh, well, turns out his tires fall off a cliff. And he angrily goes, next time I say, uh, I don't have the verbatim quote, but basically next time I say it's a two-stopper, you need to bleeping listen to me. Uh, which it reminded me a bit of the to whom it may concern fu not in that it's the same uh not that it's a celebration not that it's like a yeah right but in that Mm -hmm. this is valtteri with attitude and you you don't say that kind of thing if you're whipped for confidence after a race like that you say that kind of thing because you go you look here you pabs right (laughs) oh yeah well his actual quote was why the f does no one listen to me when i say it's going to be a two-stopper 
And that was as Verstappen blew past him. There was nothing he could do. He overcooked the turn um, because his tires were just shot. He put the car right where it needed to be, and there was just no stopping Verstappen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that actually rhymed a lot better than I thought it would. But um, no, it's almost like his last name is literally contains the word stopping. Anyway, carry yeah. on. Yes. Anyway, um, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Do you want to kind of go to the back? Because I didn't see Alfa Romeo. I didn't see uh williams i didn't see haas to be honest i didn't see anybody until ferrari alpine and mclaren i want to go to the back but i'm not quite done with mercedes and botas because we talked about botas's strategy and i think this is another thing that is emblematic of mercedes struggles we'll get deep into that in just a few minutes right We'll, we'll kind of book in the episode with Mercedes topics. But first thing, first is I think you're seeing a staunch refusal of Mercedes to do the same strategy, you know, with with their two drivers, which paid dividends for them uh, when they're dominant one, two cars. Right. Because then, oh, well, we always have the best strategy. So you can't beat us on strategy. It's costing them points now because they have a, a even car we'll say for the sake of argument, right? That this car is even. Well, now you are running one car in a suboptimal thing. And they have this staunch refusal. They're running this team and they're running these strategy calls like they should still be running one, two, every race when we know that that's not the, not the case. And, and I can't tell where that's coming from. It's got to be the strategist in the pit on the pit wall because I think to, to not adapt. Right. Because I think Toto's a smart enough guy to know, like, yo, that's happening. We, we can't have this. But right. And, but, you know, it, I think there is a bit of complacency. They're not used to being, you know, on the back foot when they very much are. You know, Red Bull was able to adapt easily. They're used to being hungry. I think, you know, there, there is a, there is a level of complacency in Mercedes where they won't, adapt the strategy to their competitors. You know, Lewis was a sitting duck for, you know, the, the second stop of Verstappen when he came back, just charging through the field. Um, you know, I, that wasn't quite an undercut for Verstappen's second stop, but you know, it was, it was a mighty amount of pace that he had in those tires and the tires were just shot. They were, he was a sitting duck. There was no way, you know, uh, Verstappen wasn't going to overtake him in the final few laps. He was, yeah. ju- he just had that much pace. I think within a, like four corners of passing Lewis, he had a one and a half second gap. Mm-hmm. I, so I, that was just a bludgeoning. What should have happened. And I know I'm armchair quarterbacking or I guess armchair race strategisting, right? <laughs> what should have happened is you see Red Bull splitting its strategy and you go, I know that Red Bull's 1A strategy is whatever goes on for a stop, and he's going to stopper. Well, Lewis is also going to stopper. We're behind in this championship. We're going full on two stopper for Botas too, because then that's how you create separation between Botas, Botas's car, and uh, Sergio Perez's car, right? And you allow Botas to defend better in the later stages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You if- know, he could have held him back for maybe two more laps, and then all of a sudden he can't catch. Lewis, when you're losing on pace or you're evenly matched on pace, you cannot run the exact same strategy and expect things to just change magically fall into your lap. Yeah. Right. So, but that's interesting. And I'm excited to see how this plays out. 
uh, over the next two weeks because, Luke, this was the first of a triple header. Triple header. Austria is coming up. I can't Twice. wait for it. I, I don't, Why is Styria first? I don't know, man. I think so the original confused. date. So the original date for the Austrian GP is July 4th. Um, I know. Ask me about my tickets. Um, but <laughs> the uh, But the original date is the 4th of July. So when they added a second date, it was right before it. So that was the Styrian GP. Uh, Tim and I will will celebrate Austria and it, how wonderful of a track. Tim, I don't. I I, I say this every time it comes up. Um, look, Spa is a beautiful course, right? I, yes. One of the most perfect tracks uh, on earth. I think my favorite is legitimately Austria. I just really like that track. It's gorgeous. The corners are fun. It, it's simple and it produces great racing. Yeah, the elevation changes are perfect. The the corners are simple. It's not it's not rocket science. Yeah. You have send you it know, up a mountain and just run a bobsled luge down. That's all yeah, it is. That's all you got to do. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, that'll be very exciting over the next two weeks. Um, it provided some electric racing mm-hmm. uh, coming out. But Luke, how about we divvy things up a bit? Let's let's let you pick the next team we talk about. Yeah, I was going to say. Speaking of great racing, uh, let's talk about any team other than Ferrari. Because Ferrari, <laughs> <laughs> and oh, they're back. Ferrari's back, baby. They're back, baby. That's what we've been waiting for. Um, look, I I don't think I'm a Ferrari hater. I just like it. I like a crap show, right? It's like what part of the reason I'm like following Haas this year. It's like this is just an unmitigated disaster. Uh, and Ferrari um, can put on a disaster piece like no other a company or sports team on earth. Ferrari rough weekend. Yeah. So let's, let's start with the quote unquote good. Cause there's not a good and bad. There's a mediocrely disappointing and just really bad mediocrely disappointing. Carlos Sainz on the lead lap, but nearly a hundred seconds off the pace uh, finishing P 11. So that's a big old Zilcho in points. And then, yeah. uh, well, luckily they have one of the most supremely talented drivers on the grid and a, a Ferrari might end up being a Ferrari lifer of a driver with the contract. He has Charles Leclerc, Tim, how'd he do? Oh, uh, well, let me, let me, let me pull this up and make sure that I've got it right. Yeah. Well, he was 16th and he was down a lap. Uh, surely that's not right. Surely that's like, no, cause that's, that's like below where Williams finished. Right. Yeah, 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 no, no, it says yeah. it's it says it George Russell's bad. right here in P12. So that can't be oh no. Oh that, that's what happened. Ooh. Um and uh <laughs> that's, going yeah. up, that's going up for an extended stay on Yikers Island. It it is, and they you know they didn't have a shab they had a shabby practice session, uh, right. or at least a couple where Charles Leclerc roasted a few tires. Um, but yeah, they, they, they qualified fifth and seventh. Didn't look too bad, um, there, but their, uh, race simulations in the practice did not look good. And indeed it didn't go well. Incidents for neither of them in the race itself. Right. That, um, that's just a lot of, and the only time I saw any Ferrari was Carlos signs as he was being passed. Yep. That's, that's about it. And that's the thing too, is like usually when Ferrari implodes, um, it's oh Leclerc made some kind of silly mistake because he's still a young driver. Ferrari, you know, goes bang as they are wont to do last year. Um, 
No, they were just straight up slow, my dude. It, it I don't know what it is because this is a so I had a working theory Ferrari or fast on the street circuits, right? Now, one of the characteristics about street circuits, one of the most kind of undervalued aspects is Tim, have you ever been in like downtown of a city where there's a slight wind, like let's say downtown, like Manhattan. Um, Now what happens to wind when it starts blowing down a a street, it gets amplified. You get this wind tunnel. That's just right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that helped Ferrari in both Baku and Monaco is the way the wind kind of plays with the buildings, as well as the very nature of the corners of the amount of runoff you have. Right. Um, But to me though, France was already windy. Right. And there was a storm coming in. So I'm like, no, it it wouldn't be the wind. Uh, Ferrari are just properly slow on this track. They are, and they they were tweaking with some of their downforce. They'd taken all the downforce off the car yeah. in those street circuits. You got to put a little bit back, and you know it seems that they are back to their woes. Um, so hopefully they can return if we get uh, any other street circuits. But Singapore not being on the schedule is a massive that blow hurts. to Ferrari. That hurts a lot. Um, so you know we'll see. But uh, but yeah, they were proper slow. By the way, I'd like to throw out a big old rest in peace to uh, the Singapore soccer stadium section. Uh, it is my understanding that the brand new float at Marina Bay building uh, will be complete next year. So rest in peace to the part that like literally went through the stands of a soccer stadium that floats on water. Anyway, Instead, you'll be an opera house. Yeah, it's like so. an opera house looking thing. Anyway, but uh, so let's see. Uh, we did hit George Russell on a P12 uh, underrated, but phenomenal drive from yeah, uh, good George for Russell. Good for him. Uh, oh, before we move on for Ferrari, one other thing. This is big. This is this is why Ferrari's struggles were overlooked because of the battle for first. But the battle for third went from two points in Ferrari's favor to 16 points in McLaren's favor. And if Ferrari are going to have another weekend like this, the battle for third is going to soon become a lockdown on third for McLaren. And do you want to talk about McLaren? Let's talk about McLaren. That's because from bad news to good news, um, Daniel Ricardo looks really comfortable in the car. The first stint was definitely his. They had him on a two stop strategy um, and he he looked good um, the whole race. And then uh, Lando ran an extremely long first stint for a one stopper. Yeah, Lando um, then, ran 24 laps, which was to me, uh, to me, it was only six laps off of the the longest stint, which was Mazepin at 31. But 24 laps is the most anybody outside of like Ocon and Giovinazzi ran. So he ran a stupid long race, a stupid yes. long stint. Stupid long stint, and let me make sure that I've got, um, yes, so re- stupid long, but did pretty well, um, and then. You know, things just got really good from there. Uh, you know, uh, Lando came roaring back through the field, mm-hmm. um, made which... quick mincemeat of Pierre Gasly, which mm-hmm. was the best duel. And I, I made a, a comment about it in the text string that I really wish they weren't showing the leaders and they were like actually showing the midfield at that point because the duel between him and then ultimately Carlos Sainz after that was just about the best thing ever. Um, you know, they, they dueled really well. And it's always those three. 
it, it it's it's like the Harry Potter trio. Why is it when it's yeah. something? It's always you three. Yeah, but, and it's you know in Baku they dueled really really well, mm-hmm. and in in France they dueled well, and Lando came out on top, really on top, and then he went right by his teammate, and they uh, finished a solid fifth and sixth for a really great result for the team. Absolutely, I think there are, there are two things I want to highlight. We'll start with the one I want to highlight with Lando. There was a interview right before the race. I'm not sure. If oh, I apologize. It. No, uh, so it's a Daniel was on a one stop. Daniel was on a one stop. I thought Daniel was on, was on a one stop. Yeah, but no, uh, and he he stopped early at lap 16, and they let true. Lando out there for another eight laps. But uh, so Lando though. In an interview beforehand, uh, basically said they're like, you know, you're not in third place anymore. And he goes, yeah, it was nice to imagine what could be while it was happening. But ultimately, uh, he, being Checo Perez, is in a Red Bull. So I don't think it's really realistic of us to expect a P3. Um, But he said that upbeat, very upbeat for a guy who, you know, just got knocked out of a podium position in the championship points. Right. Um, I think he, that confidence, not that I really doubt it ever waned, but is really starting to surge. Now he knows you had no business being P three. The fact you put it in P three is shocking. And then today you saw that confidence pay off dividends in him, you know, just, Bam, 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 bam. Every time they cut to, you know, the midfield, Lando Norris is passing another guy. Uh, he just put on a, an overtaking clinic. I think he was honestly robbed of driver of the day. Um, but that's another discussion we probably won't, won't don't need to get into. But, yeah. uh, but, but I, and I will say the other cool thing before we leave Lando Norris, mm-hmm. he is the only driver on the grid with a point scoring finish in every uh, result this year. That's the other thing. He's stupid consistent. And that's why I do think he is world driver championship talent because he's stupid consistent. I think in his last 10 races, he's had eight top fives, uh, I think was the stat I saw. Yep. It, uh, it is incredibly consistent, impressive, and I am very excited for everything the future holds for Lando Norris. Absolutely. Daniel Ricardo had a great weekend too. Let's so let's rewind Baku. Uh even while well, we can rewind further back to Monaco, right? We said at both those places, if you're trying to get used to a car, those are worst case scenarios to try and learn a car. Well, Monaco, you have zero runoff. Uh, and if you put a car, you know, millimeter wrong, you've ruined your entire weekend. Baku, kind of the same deal, uh, but also you're doing it at the fastest top speed on the calendar, I think. Uh, definitely the longest straight, right? So yeah. it, Terrible, terrible places for Daniel Ricardo to be learning the McLaren. This week, Danny Rick looked like he knew that McLaren back in front. It, he looked like, hey, you return it to a track where things are more normal. Bing, yes. bang, boom. I'm your Huckleberry. Yeah, he and he looked confident. He pulled the move he pulled on Alonzo, where he did, gave his dummy and then went hard left. Mm-hmm. That showed to me that he was comfy in that car and things were about to evolve really well. I think they're going to make a really great pairing moving forward. And I'm really glad to see that McLaren is going to be consistent, not only in the two drivers, but in uh, it sounds like Andreas Seidel is going to be locked in for a while. Uh, Zach Brown is there for the duration. Uh, they're going to have some consistency at McLaren consistency and again every year every year every race it seems like they're just getting better and better they're building towards great things and it's not just a great car but it's systemic greatness um you know it's greatness 
in their management. It's greatness in, you know, their strategies, it's greatness in their culture, which is why I think honestly, that's why, you know, come next year's regulations, brand new rules. I think McLaren will be a team uh, to very much watch. I want to shift gears, Tim, and just what I consider the, the hidden battle. All right. Everybody talks, we got a title fight. We totally do have a title fight. Everybody says McLaren versus Ferrari. That's a fun battle to watch. You know what's fun is the battle for fifth place in the Constructors' Championship. I know these are some middling teams, right? We're talking uh, about AlphaTauri and Aston Martin. I know they're not shocking. But the the battle is tight, and they're in the points, but they're on that fine edge of the points where, like, any one variance can just throw things out of control. So coming into this week, Alpha Tower is ahead of Aston Martin, 44 points to 40, fifth and sixth in the championship standings. Finishing today, Sebastian Vettel, ninth, Lance Stroll, 10th. That's good for three points, two for Stroll, or two for Vettel, one for Stroll, right? Right. Oh, okay. We're starting to close it up, right? Uh-uh. Fernando Alonso, P8, four points. And that's why I like that. This is something to watch for in the midfield. I like this battle because it's razor thin margins, right? The, Fernando Alonso crashes. Sebastian Vettel moves up. He gets four points, two points. That whole thing, you know, changes in an instant. Or maybe Alonso, you know, drops back because he cooks his tires or something. It's just, it's a really fun battle to watch, honestly. And we're talking about millions of pounds worth of consequence. Yeah. You know, there's a lot on the line. There's a lot on the line because those are two teams that have, you know, manufacturers attached to them. Uh, and not- who are looking to next year, hopefully make a big leap with some of their developments. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have my uh, suspicions about Alpine uh, not having uh, a proper power unit um, because still uh, the turbo hybrid era has just honestly been cruel uh, to Renault, uh, because mm-hmm. they just can't get it right. I can't tell, you know, which, which way is worse, but they get, they can't get their design right. Um, you know, it keeps failing. And then, uh, Alpine also, uh, committing to their youngster, uh, for the four, next few years. So yeah. that's interesting. Um, and then, uh, Seb Vettel looking pretty doggone comfy now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, by the way, I want to, I want to address something real quick. I said Alonzo P8 on four uh i meant gasly p6 uh finish or gasly p7 with six points the point well, is the point is is that the razor thin margins it's a good battle to watch yuki sonoda out of the points that is but, absolutely true yes. but i will say uh you know alpha tauri yuki sonoda yeah he's out alpha tauri is fast and they can't they don't know why yeah. um but i think that everybody got that uh, every Honda team uh, car got a new that new Honda power unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody seemed pretty happy with it. Pierre Gasly uh, is driving the rivets off that car. Um, interesting thing about Esteban Ocon getting an extension is uh, what happens with Fernando Alonso and Pierre Gasly? Is that the seat that now becomes available? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I had this thought too because Esteban Ocon. So let's play the game. Esteban Ocon's extended for three years. Don't. Don't consider a contract handed out by the former Renault team a lock until it's complete. One. Two, uh, let's play the game that Alonzo comes back next year, as I believe he's contractually, you know, he's contractually obligated to do. I believe, Tim, in my heart of hearts, in my unresearched, I don't have it up here, right? 
I believe that's the first returning lineup that Renault's had since their return to F1. It might be. If not, it's only like their second. Yeah, I think they had one year with Julian Palmer, but they sacked him mid-season, so I'm not sure if it counts. Um, but, you know, I yeah, it might be the first one. Uh, and it might be a signal of uh, the confidence and the uh, mental state of their new uh, head of operations, yeah. who is not still a bit the bull, who cuts people left and right. That's the thing I wanted to get into because it's a signal that, like, hey, stability. What? Do you, why is what? What's part of the reason McLaren's on the up and up right now? And one of the things that you know, say Mercedes has been known for uh, over the last near the era, twenty fourteen. I can't do math. Um, stability. <laughs> Stability. The guys at McLaren, Andreas Seidel, Zach Brown, they're all there and they're building in unison, right? Mercedes, they have the no firing. You know, we're not going to fire you if something goes wrong on the car. Stability, same driver lineup, da, 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 right? It's what it's, it's exactly what Alpine needs is return the same drivers for the love of all things holy. Yeah, pretty much. But, you know, that consistency is going to need to be paired with engineering sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I believe uh, the guest in a couple of weeks is going to have some suspicions on that. Um, but I personally believe that their engineering is inconsistent. Um, I don't understand uh, the big air vent still. The idea would probably be um, more cooling to their engine. It still went pop. So that didn't do anything. Um, and you know, or just being different and it makes no sense. So uh, I think you need to take a look at your engineering team and question all yep. of it. Yep. Uh, guess in a couple of weeks, uh, Tim will be out. So we have a, we have a new uh, replace. We have a replacement host, right? Yes, um, that is correct. Uh, I, sorry, I ho- everyone. Tim I is going on vacation for the first time in a few years. Goodness. Uh, someone special in his life pushed him to do that. Um, specifically his girlfriend who said, Hey, we're going. And I'm like, Hey, that sounds awesome. Sounds great. So yeah, (laughs) it's, it's okay. It's okay. You know what, Tim, I forgive you as unprofessional as that kind of move is. I forgive you because I, (laughs) Tim, how many times have I, uh, have I been on vacation while this show's happened? Yeah, and I, I've had to fill in with, uh, fill with, with Andy the, from the Outlap, Andy which was the awesome. We tried Hashtag to rec- go, Andy. We tried to record like a one AM episode while it's in New York City, mm-hmm. uh, which was supposed to be like a tried. tried, tried, horseshit. We did it. We did that. Um, <laughs> well, I thought I thought that quote, the the horseshit quote, and I'm we're recording this at home, so I'm not editing this out. Sorry, kids. Uh, I, I, th- I, I think I think that descriptor applies more to the quality it was because both of us were slap happy and the audio was terrible. The audio was terrible. We were supposed to slap happy, but we did. I think we got a couple tweets on that saying it was funny. So, hey, at least somebody <laughs> okay, was entertained. Where Are you not entertained? Where can you tweet? Where can you tweet us at, Tim? I am at Tim STLF1. You are at the Formation Lap 101 on the Twitters. So if you're going to twit smack us, please do so at those accounts. Absolutely. You can send us hate mail, as always, at forma- at the Formation Lap at 101ESPN.com. Let's book in this episode. We said we bookend it Mercedes to Mercedes. Yes. Let's talk Tim, more about. Do you want to talk about Lewis? Yeah. Our upcoming guest said this. And I said this at almost the exact same time. 
Um, I, I'm not going to say who said it once or the other, right? Our upcoming replacement host. Um, I think Mercedes is rattled. I think I think they are. Hey, Tim, I I know that you and I enjoy, you know, baseball, right? Oh yeah. Have you ever seen? I'm, I'm going to compare this, and I'll bring it back around for everybody. All right. Have you ever seen Johnny Cueto? All right, and Johnny Cueto is on the mound. I believe it was a in a. It was a wild card game against the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? And Quato, Quato, forty thousand fans. He drops the ball, and then he's effectively wild. Throws a wild pitch. He was trash. The important thing is that Johnny Cueto that season was an unstoppable force. But this is the first time where everybody's looking at him calling his name for hours on end and he doesn't know what to do. He's rattled. He's shaken and he's not making, he's not executing the things that everybody in baseball knows that he can do. That's true. That is. And it was bold of Luke to bring that specific mm -hmm. example up. I mean, it is, it is eloquent and right dead on what we're talking about, but Johnny Cueto is also a guy. Luke and I are diehard Cardinal fans. Um, Johnny Cueto in a, a big benches clearing fight decided to kick a man in the face with his cleats. Yeah. So I've got a forever problem with Johnny Cueto. Oh, it ended in that man's career and he's blind in that eye now Yeah. Um, because that's Johnny what happened Cueto. when you kick somebody in the face oh, with metal it, cleats. It brought me a lot of joy to watch the, the Cueto Cueto moment, by the way, he oh, fell, me too. he fell down, he fell down today uh, while pitching for the Giants. Good. The point Hope is he broke though, his ankle. Um, but but the point is that mentally speaking, you can get rattled. I don't know if that's the kind of rattled they are. I think it's for the first time they're having to make strategy that is not inherent upon them being first, them being out front and, you know, just kind of managing. They've been managing for a while. Now they have to compete. Well, you think they're not used to that. You think back about the times that there was a, there was a title fight, right? Well, they fought Ferrari, but we all knew that Mercedes kind of had, you know, the faster car and they could turn parts around quicker. And I, I, during that Ferrari title fight, I think they were like, we come in, we know we're the better team. Right. Um, I think during, during the Nico Rosberg, Lewis Hamilton era, right. Oh, they weren't happy. Oh no, no, no. They weren't happy. But at the end of the day, when one of them won, the team won. So correct. Uh, is from a team organizational from a pressure on not the drivers let's not focus on lewis and valtteri from a pressure on the race strategist a pressure on the mechanics a pressure on the people back in the factory a pressure on the engineers the designers the the, the freaking public relations team right yeah they aren't feeling that pressure when it's lewis versus nico they're feeling the pressure right now because not only does a team have the, you know, as a team on a run, I think they know for the first time in the turbo hybrid era, they might not have the fastest car like hard stop. Yeah. And they're panicking and And you're seeing kind of panic decisions or indecision, you know, the decision decisions. I don't, we go back to Lewis Hamilton in Baku it, he turns brake magic on, doesn't turn brake magic off, or turns it off, but the bias is still on. Either way, he pushes a button wrong on a Mercedes car that he basically designed every button for. Like, 
Yeah. I, I mean, he's not literally the engineer, but there is nothing on that car that he wasn't involved in because, you know, he's been the guy, at, the driver at Mercedes since 2014. You know, it, it, yeah. it that is an un Lewis move, a move that you make when you're rattled. And you're nervous because it's the first big fight. This isn't like, you know, back when he won his first championship with McLaren and it was, you know, it was a really tight duel coming down to the last few corners against, you know, uh, against a really strong Ferrari team and Timo Glock was slow. Um, you know, it's going back to those days where he needs more nerves of steel to get this done and he can't just run away with it. You know, it's also the indecision where Mercedes did have a window where they could have switched to plan B and gone to a two-stop strategy, but they kept Lewis on a one-stop and they kept him through lap 19. I mean, yeah, he's magical with tires, Mm -hmm. but no one's superhuman. That's because that's the thing is when you watch, it's, it's very systemic. It's It's a systemic shake. It's a systemic shake, and it's something that's, again, very similar to Johnny Cueto in that it's this is not an error that they usually make. It's, it's a head weight, mistake. It's the weight of the pressure. It's the weight of I'm in an elimination playoff game, and there are 40,000 people yelling at me. I'm in a title fight that no team in the history of the sport has ever had the opportunity to say I won every season of a defined formula one era i'm in a title fight for that and i might not be the fastest car it it is head mistakes from lewis like you said head mistakes from strategists it is the antithesis of what we've praised mercedes for for the last six years even as recently as the preseason where we lauded uh heaps of praise onto total wolf and this and the company he's made yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. The the entire system got an earthquake, and it looked like Christian Horner, Max Verstappen, with a fine addition of Sergio Perez. I, that's that's the thing too. I think one of the other key components to this head state they're in is, hey, you know when Red Bull challenged you a couple of years ago, right? Or you know when Ferrari, you had Lewis Hamilton, you had Valtteri Bottas, dude. They didn't. You, you weren't competing a team with a team with as good of a second driver as Checo Perez. Now I let's leave beside the Max versus Lewis debate. That is a can of worms now, because before Mercedes goes, yeah, but Valtteri Botas is the best second driver on the grid. He's the best wingman you could ask for. And now they're going, Oh, he's not even the best wingman between our two teams. Right, you're losing the secondary battle while you're fighting the primary one with two yeah. supremely talented drivers who are honestly, in a lot of ways, very, very comparable in skill level. Uh, let's not open the can of worms of like. <laughs> so you're gonna get, you're going to get a brick thrown through our window. <laughs> Luckily, it's a soundproof window, so there's like two plain, two panes of glass. Doesn't matter, it's coming through. Well, they'd have to they'd have to put it up to the second level of Olive Boulevard, that's for sure. Anyway, don't tell them where we are. Olive what Boulevard. Are you, what are you runs doing? Like Forty miles through St. Louis. That doesn't matter. It's fine. As if you can't just Google where 101 ESPN is. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, but I will say that um, I mean, I agree. It, it there 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 are a lot of comparisons that can be made. A lot of 
uh, juxtapositions that can be made and the the trouble becomes who the rear gunner is who's making the strategy red bull is clearly on their game mm-hmm. um you know aside from you know the and it's clear that the blunders they made earlier in the year where they got fleeced by mercedes uh have been have been uh, adjusted yeah mercedes needs to make the same adjustment by the look the tone the tenor and the uh just the sheer body language of total wolf i think that's going to be dealt with in the next two days I think it is too. Um, I do like if you're talking about body language, the body language on Christian Horner right now. Christian Horner, he's bouncing. He's dude, like, ah, dude is like, dude is like on a red carpet everywhere he goes. He's like, did you ever see Pete? Do you ever see a uh, Spider-Man three? With uh, unfortunately, yes, I yeah, did. Yeah. And if you're gonna talk about the the Saturday Night Fever dancing scene, I'm yes. gonna freak out. But not specifically that. It's the part right before that where he's walking down. Well, not. He, I mean, he is dancing, walking down the street. He's pointing at the ladies. Hey, get hey. up, get on up. Yeah, because he yeah. knows he's he's hot crap, right? Um, <laughs> it's that, but unironic. Like obviously, the movie he's not. That Peter Parker's not cool. That's part of the joke of the whole scene is that he's still not cool. Um, it's really bad. Yeah, it's terrible. Don't don't watch it. Watch the first two. Those are phenomenal. Don't watch the third. Anyway, but uh, or just go watch the two Tom Holland ones. Really, I think Tom Holland might be the, my favorite Peter Parker Spider Man. Anyway, that of the animated one. Ooh, that's a good one too. Anyway, but the point is, is that that's how that body language, that confidence. Go watch Christian Horner in the last couple of weeks. Christian Horner knows that he has Mercedes on the ropes in a way that no team ever has before. Well, not in this era. That was to say, not not in a long time. Yep. And uh, no, I think uh, I think we got a title fight because they returned to a conventional track and Honda and Red Bull still took it to them. That's one more, one more thing too. As if Mercedes isn't struggling with enough, you're going. Oh, Red Bull wants to become their own engine manufacturer, and the Honda engine is a beast. And also, that means that all long- engine regulations are frozen after yeah. a certain mm-hmm. point in the very near future. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, so there's long term implications to being the worst car right now. Yep. So, uh, but Luke, I think as a show, yes, we should align ourselves with one of the two teams. I think we should too. And Tim, I texted the group about this. All right. I I don't think it's, this is not going to be a popular opinion. This is going to get a brick through our window. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you can throw a brick through the window at anywhere besides Olive Boulevard. Actually, no, don't. But if you do, if you do find us, uh, look for office 105, which is Brad Thompson's office. Yep, we're, we're work out of Brad Thompson's office. At, at yes, least. that's that is exclusively Actually, where no, we hang out. No, wait, no, wait, 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 hold on. My actual desk is next to his desk. No, <laughs> it's just a brick. It'll hit him first. <laughs> he, he, he is closer to the window. So, yes. Anyway, yeah. So what's going to get a brick thrown through our window? Um, I think I'm pulling for Mercedes in this battle. Let me I am explain. Too. Yes, me I, explain. please explain to you and I agree on this reasoning. Actually, uh, you expounded on it more than I did. You have the uh, the Luke rant way about you. So, please, for the ladies and gentlemen, tell them. If this were last year, and if this were next year, I'm not rooting for Mercedes. Right? I like watching 
I don't like watching dominance, right? I like watching, I'm an IndyCar fan. I like sheer chaos at every single point in my life, right? And we we both enjoy privateer teams who are trying to mm-hmm. make it, which Red Bull still is. Yes, they have a monster budget. And yes, they are probably going to be their own engine manufacturer here soon, which is awesome. Um, but but in, the, a in a normal team. case, they are still a privateer team, which Luke and I are nine and a half times out of 10 all in favor of. So why and are we rooting you should for also, you should also well, know that Luke is absolutely correct. If this were next year, don't care. Last year, definitely don't care. We're pulling for Red Bull. We're, we're flying flags. We're wearing t-shirts. Uh-huh. But this year, Luke, tell them why. Yeah, so the big question, why? Why? Because Tim and I are sports fans. But not only are we sports fans, we're fans of history right? We're fans of historical records. I think there's a beautiful connection between sports and the records and the statistics that they create, right? That probably stems from both of us being baseball fans where literally everything is quantified and it's ridiculous, but no other sports franchise that I know of at the very least in North American sports, I'm not sure about like European soccer leagues or football leagues, as you would call them. No other sports team can look at an era of a sport, right? Because every sport has eras. No other sports team could look at an era of a sport and say, I won a championship every single year. I am that era of the sport, right? There was the dead ball era where the Yankees reigned supreme, right? Yankees won what, like four during the dead ball era out of 20 years? I was going to say, yeah, they won like 20% of the time. Yeah. Uh, and then that's a lot. Yeah. That's Granted, a lot. but there are 50 teams ish, but yeah, in, in, in formula one or in any sport, they didn't win a hundred. No one wins a hundred. And this puts, this puts a bow tie on the end of it. Yeah. It, it's, it's 50. Yeah. So nobody, you know, winning 50% of titles like you said is big right i think the, i think the yankees had the most ever record for wins in a decade with like six or seven but yeah exactly it, this is not just an opportunity to lay claim for that but it is quite possibly the only opportunity we are going to see in a sport like this in our lifetime for somebody to claim that which as a fan of wayne gretzky why do i like wayne gretzky a lot because you can pull out statistics that blow people's minds if they don't know hockey, right? Like the fact that Wayne Gretzky uh, is the first, is the fastest player to a thousand points and the second fastest player to a thousand points because he did it twice in record time, right? Like, yes. like stuff like it's, that. That's, it's stuff like that. But that's both Mercedes was, and Lewis Hamilton are about to become Wayne Gretzky of Formula One. Right. It, it's it's the ability to go back in ten years and rattle off. It's like, hey. There was an era of Formula One that was technically called the Turbo Hybrid Era, where there was a very specific set of rules that in no way actually favored specifically Mercedes. But Mercedes won every single title. And not only that, every single race or game or whatever you want to call it, every single race, that they won like 80% of them. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, there's no other sport in our lifetimes, I feel like that we can make that claim. So as a fan of storylines, as a fan of sports history, as a foreign fan of fun trivia, I, I find myself like, again, 
if they're if they wouldn't be going for the record this year, yeah, forget it. Let's go Red Bull next year. Well, it's a new era. I don't really care. But this year, man, I gotta see that. I want to see that. I do too. You know, they have an impressive trophy cabinet, the likes of which I personally don't feel like we will ever see again. Um, you know, but but yeah, just for the just for the sheer fact that it happened in our lifetimes, that such dominance reigned in such such a close sport. Um, yeah, it has to happen. I'm I'm very excited for. Uh, the rest of the season again. Remember, everybody, we're roughly over twenty five percent of the way through. Um, it's it's a long season. It's going to end near Christmas, mm-hmm. so buckle up. We're we're in for a long slog. Austria, Austria is going to be interesting. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see about the heating issues. I know I saw Red Bull took a big chunk of body work out of their rear end. Um, I don't know if you saw that too, but I think that's for their cooling because that new Honda power unit might be hot. Runs a um, little warm. Yeah, which is going to be very interesting in Austria because you're at altitude, so the heat's going to be more of an issue. Right, the heat's an um, issue, and the air that comes into the intake that would normally cool it down is thinner, meaning there's less oxygen, which is what cools it down. Correct. So that's going to be interesting to see if Mercedes stands and uh, Honda falls off a little bit. I don't think that'll be the case. I think we're going to have a really close race. I'm just excited um, to see Austria again, man. I love that track. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Hey, if there had to be a doubleheader, give me Austria. Give me Austria, and uh, I think we could all throw our our collective, you know, hat in the ring and say, "Don't do Coda. Give me a second no. American race and give give it to Indianapolis." <laughs> yeah, it's, I think that's still a sore subject. So we'll see. But yes, we are very excited. We got a title fight on our hands, and uh, we the show, the Formation Lamp, is rooting for Mercedes for historical purposes only. And on that bombshell, I think it's time to wrap up. I've been Luke. I've been Tim. Talk to you later.